Well, good evening, and uh, I'm going to take a little break from uh, our uh, devotionals on the Psalms and uh, do a little subject tonight. Something that's interesting as I was studying this, it's something that we, we probably know in our minds, but we oftentimes, because of all the different subjects and books we go through in the Bible, we maybe don't always remember things the way we should. We don't focus on things the way we should. We take them for granted. And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about an acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. Okay, acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a number of texts. We're going to jump through the New Testament primarily, starting at Romans. And so we'll look at those, but then we'll focus on a couple of texts that help us uh, realize the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. So if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, and we'll start there. We'll just look at a couple verses, and as we read these verses, I hope that you'll begin to see the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Romans 15, and we'll look at verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13. Paul here is teaching us, of course, regarding uh, the Christ and the, the coming of Christ, and uh, quoting Isaiah, and then and verse 12. And then verse 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So obviously the text is implying here that we don't abound in hope by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit is working within us. He is reminding us of the work of Christ on our behalf. He is reminding us of the glory of God. But that's just a thought to keep in your mind. Take that there and, and kind of look at, at that thought. We may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Flip over to Galatians. Chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, we'll look at a couple verses here, beginning at verse uh, 16, Galatians 5, 16, Paul again speaking to the church at Galatia, and it should be a familiar passage, but notice the use of the term of the Holy Spirit here, as he's referred to. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Okay, notice, it's, walking is a pretty simple thing, isn't it? We do it every day. But it's implying life here. Obviously, it's implying our conduct. It's implying how we go about our lives. But walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ah, okay, if you want to defeat the lust of the flesh, how do we do it? Do we do it by some sort of program we go through? Or, you know, almost like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, you follow these steps and you'll be saved. No, you do it by walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is, in a sense, in your life. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Skip over to verse 22. Familiar verse should be to all of us, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions desire. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There it is again. How do we get these fruits? Well, we do it by the Spirit of God being control of our life. We're walking in the Spirit. We're living in the Spirit. He is a part of our life. Uh, over in 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, you don't have to turn there. You can or just make a note of it. The Apostle Peter says, we are alive by the Spirit. We're made alive. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We're made alive by the Spirit. James chapter 4 and verse 1, it is the Spirit who dwells in us. And that's what we're really going to talk about tonight, the Spirit who dwells in us. 
And that's James 4.1. And then one more, 1 John 4.13. He has given us of his spirit. God has gifted us his spirit. And sometimes I think what happens is when you're reading the Bible and you read the terms, uh, the spirit of God is coming upon us or the spirit of the Father, we think that, okay, that's the spirit of the Father. No, what it's referring to is the Holy Spirit because they are what? They're three in one. They're all one. So when it refers to the Spirit of the Father, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. When it's talking about the Spirit of Christ, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not Christ's Spirit, which is separate from the Holy Spirit. No, they're all one. So when it refers to the Spirit, you'll see that it should be referring to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at two things as we look at these verses. <clears throat> and the first one's going to be honor him. The second one's going to be abide in him. But just as a little introduction, uh, aside from a study, I guess, of the Trinity, uh, which we do from time to time as we're going through the confession and other things, we don't spend a lot of inordinate time, amount of time, talking about, preaching about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I think most churches you go to, they'll preach on a lot of subjects and, and they'll preach on, on passages of Scripture, but they don't emphasize the Holy Spirit. Perhaps that's due in Reformed Baptist circles or even in Baptist circles in, in general to a reaction to the erroneous teachings of the charismatic movement. Uh, on the person and work of the Spirit. So sometimes there's an overreaction where we don't talk about something because we look at it from a negative point of view that others are abusing it. Yet we, don't, we should not, and we should not even consider daring to dishonor him by thinking of him with any less reverence and any less respect than we do of the Heavenly Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are equal. We should look at them with the same respect. He shares, in, the Holy Spirit shares in the threefold declaration of Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy. When Isaiah saw him, that holy, 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 referring to all three members of the Trinity. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. The scripture is replete with references, as we just saw, to him, and not just in the New Testament. Spurgeon made this interesting comment. Sometimes I have to chuckle with the things he comes up with. Here's this comment. The Holy Ghost rides in the chariot of scripture and not in the wagon of modern thought. Think about that. The Holy Spirit rides in the chariot of Scripture and not in, the, mat, in the, the, uh, the, the modern thought, the wagon of modern thought. The Holy Spirit is based in the Scripture. He's not the figment of our imagination. He's not someone came up with it, you know, 100 years ago and decided, oh, this would be a good idea. No, he is throughout Scripture. He is God of very God. If you would know the Holy Spirit well, then go to the well of Scripture. Okay? That's me. That's not Spurgeon. So... We'll pat on the back here. Okay, if you know him well, go to the well of Scripture. That's where you want to find him. And I'll tell you a little bit about where you can find him in just a minute. You will find him, in fact, beginning in Genesis 1, verse 2. And you will find him again in Revelation 22, verse 17. And lots of places in between. In fact, the words Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit appear 94 times in the New Testament. And the word Spirit, just that word Spirit, which refers to the Holy Spirit, refers over 150 times throughout the whole Bible. So that tells you how important the Holy Spirit should be to us. We shouldn't put him aside as just, oh yeah, he's the third person of the Trinity, but after all, it's the Father who did all these things and ordained all these things. It's Lord Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, and who sits at the right hand of the Father. Those are all true. Those are all very important. But the Holy Spirit has a significant impact on our lives and upon even the plan of redemption, as we'll see. So let's look at honoring him, first of all. Let's focus on honoring him as we do the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. John MacArthur stated it this way, if we are to honor the Holy Spirit, treating him with the reverence and respect that is his royal due, 
we must rightly discern his true ministry, aligning our hearts and our minds and our wills with his wondrous works. So we need to focus on him, not just look at him as a sidebar. We need to focus on him and all that the scripture tells us about his ministry to us. What is his ministry to us today? Well, he is focused on, as MacArthur puts it, spiritual creation. Okay, the Father, in conjunction with the Son and the Spirit, ordained not only the world and all things in it, but they ordained the plan of redemption in eternity past. The Son carried out that plan of redemption by living a perfect life that we could not live and by dying a substitutionary death uh, that we needed for our salvation. And the Spirit is doing his part by regenerating sinners, transforming them into the children of God, and then sanctifying them that they might live for God. So his, obviously, ministry is very important. Certainly, we do not you know, diminish in any way the work of the Father in planning our redemption, nor do we diminish Christ's work on our behalf. But the Holy Spirit is equally important because he is the one that awakens us to see that we need Christ. He is the one that convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He is the one that enlivens us and brings us out of the deadness of our sin into newness of life. And he is the one who is sanctifying us uh, as we go through our daily life. He also, he is the securer, it says in scripture, of our salvation, the guarantor of it. And he prepares us for eternal life with our triune God forevermore. <clears throat> now we'll look at another text, which I think is probably the key text tonight. 1 John chapter 14 and verses 16 and 17, Jesus made this very clear. He said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, or comforter, is the translation there better in the Greek, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Christ is praying for us, and he's giving us not just the blessings of his work of salvation, which is obviously key, but he will give us this helper. That is not just for his disciples, that's for all of us. That he may what? Stick with you for a little while or show up every now and then? No, he will abide with you forever. Forever. The spirit of truth. You want to know the truth? You go to the Holy Spirit, who will teach you the truth, as we find it in Scripture, of course, because he's the author of Scripture. The world cannot receive him. The world does not recognize him. They don't know him. But you know him, and I know him, if we're in Christ, because he has given the spirit to us that we might know him and he might control and direct our life. That's the importance of us honoring him. Who is he? He is the one who brings us to the point of salvation. He is the one who introduces us to Christ. He is the one that convicts us of our sin. And he is the one that brings us into that relationship with God, not just now, throughout our life, but for all eternity. So honor him. Think about him as being just as honorable as the Father and the Son. Secondly, we want to abide in him, as the scripture tells us. Taking what Jesus said here in verse 17 that I just read, I want to think about that truth for just a moment. He dwells with you and will be with you. Now, unfortunately, though well-intentioned, modern-day preaching often, often uses the phrase, let Jesus come into your heart. That is not biblical. Okay, Jesus has not come into your heart. But the scripture makes no such statement. We are to believe upon the Lord with all our hearts, trusting him as the one who redeemed us from our lost estate and reconciling us to God. But as the scripture tells us in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It is the spirit of God 
who dwells in you. He is the present Emmanuel, God with us, okay? He is Emmanuel, God with us right now, in us, dwelling in us. He is the one who should be quickening, guiding, and ruling our lives. He is the one who is grieved when we go astray, and he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for, too deep for words, it says in Romans 8, 26. And that's an astounding truth, beloved, that God in the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Think about that. It's not just that God saved you and therefore he's going to eventually take you to heaven. The third person of the Trinity, God of very God, equal with the Father and the Son, dwells in you. He dwells in you. Think about that. That's not, not a light thing. That's not a small thing to say, well, yeah, it's, it's cool. No, God dwells in you and God in the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul asked the believers in Corinth, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's an amazing thought. Think about that. You are, and I am, if we're a believer, a temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. And a few chapters later, Paul goes on and repeats the thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He reminds them, and us, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. How do you glorify God in your body? By yielding to the Holy Spirit's influence, by seeking his face to help you to understand the word of God and apply that word of God to your life. So step back and think about that for a moment. You are a human being, a fallen human being who has been redeemed by God's grace. But within you dwells the Spirit of God. So that tells you two things. One, it's one thing, it's an honorable position that you are, have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And the second thing is, you better live in accordance with that Spirit, okay? You better honor that Spirit by your life and your actions. You better submit to that Spirit. I mean, you should look to that Spirit for guidance in decisions you make in the life you should lead. But it's, it's an incredible thing that we base human beings who deserve God's wrath, who have been redeemed, now have God dwelling in us in the person of his spirit. That should be a, a humbling thing. It should be almost a scary thing to think about the spirit of God is dwelling within me. Therefore, I should not desire in any way to bring offense to him or to, in a sense, grieve him by our life in, in, the, in the world. So my dear believers, let that kind of sink into our mind and heart. God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you, not temporarily, but throughout your life here on earth, once you've come to faith in Christ, via his prompting and his convicting you to bring you to repentance. Spurgeon goes on to challenge us with these thoughts. He says, in his presence, recognize as it ought to be, we cannot control his working. He is sovereign in all his operations, referring here to the Holy Spirit. But are we sufficiently anxious to obtain his help or sufficiently watchful lest we grieve him and he withdraws his help? Without him, we can do nothing, but by his almighty energy, the most extraordinary results can be produced. Everything depends upon his revealing or concealing his power. Do we always look up to him for our inner life and our outward service with respectful dependence that is appropriate? Do we not too often run before his call and act independently of his aid? And that's the point I want to emphasize here is that, again, we know who the Holy Spirit is, we know him from Scripture, but we sometimes kind of put him on the back burner and live our life as though he's not really a significant part of it. Yes, he is. He dwells in you. You should therefore be yielding to him and asking him for guidance. 
He's not someone who appears every now and then in history. No, he's throughout history affecting and bringing people to Christ and sanctifying them and working in them throughout their lives. And that should be important to us when we think about that. Every day, he is there within you, working within you. He is honoring the Father and the Son by his work, and he's pointing us closer and closer to him. So abide in him, beloved. Abide in him and acknowledge his presence and his rule in your life. Rejoice that Christ has not left you without a helper. That's what he told his disciples. I'm not going to leave you without a helper. I'm going to send a helper to you, a powerful helper, to enable you to live a life that is pleasing to God the Father and rewards redemptive work of his Son. You know, you think about the New Testament in Acts when Peter was preaching, or uh, the, the people all came together and heard the Spirit working there and the disciples. We sometimes forget that who was it that brought 5,000 people to the knowledge of Christ? Was it Peter's preaching? You know, was it his eloquence? Was it somehow the wisdom in which he said it? No, it was the Holy Spirit who brought all those people. No one comes to repentance and faith in Christ outside of the Spirit of God. So anyone you know who's come to Christ, they owe that salvation not only to the work of Christ, but to the work of the Spirit that brought them to repentance and faith in Christ. So make sure we give him that honor that is due to him. Rejoice that Christ has given you a helper that enables you to reach people with the gospel, knowing that if they come to faith in Christ, it wasn't you, it was him that brought them to repentance. Now, much more could be said of him. But let me conclude, conclude the devotional here with these final admonitions from Mr. Spurgeon. By the way, I took some of these thoughts from like two different daily devotionals that Spurgeon happened to have on the subject. One was on acknowledging Christ, that it was on remembering him. So he kind of helped us along here. But he says this, let us humble ourselves this evening for past neglect and now entreat the heavenly dew to rest upon us, the sacred oil to anoint us, the celestial flame to burn within us. The Holy Spirit, and this is important, is not a temporary gift. He remains in the church. When we seek him as we should, we will find him. He is jealous, but he is full of pity. If he leaves in anger, he returns in mercy condescending and tender, he does not grow tired of us, but constantly displays his grace. Praise God for such a blessing.